Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, March 23, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. The Sitka Assembly will not issue a temporary moratorium on short-term rental permits after all. When the Assembly met last night, it narrowly voted down a measure that would have capped the number of new short-term rental permits in residential zones for one year. According to city code, a short-term rental is any property rented for fewer than 14 days. In order to operate a short-term rental in a home or apartment building, the owner needs a conditional use permit from the city's planning department. Sponsors Kevin Knox and Kevin Mosier said they hoped that temporarily curbing those permits would be a first step toward addressing Sitka's affordable housing challenges. And while most of the Assembly agreed that action on affordable housing is needed, not all agreed that the moratorium was the right step forward. The ordinance failed on a 3-4 to four vote with Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis and members Tor Christensen, Crystal Duncan, and Dave Miller voting against the moratorium. We'll have more coverage of last night's Sitka Assembly meeting, including its discussion on short-term rentals, on Raven News Tonight at 518. State biologists are looking into how a recent oil spill around 15 miles northwest of Sitka will affect the Sacro herring fishery, which went on two-hour notice on Tuesday morning. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game's annual pre-season herring meeting on Monday night was punctuated by news of the spill, which occurred early that morning when a tugboat towing an Alaska Marine Line's barge ran aground in Neva Strait. In the collision, one of the tugboat's fuel tanks ruptured. The size of the oil spill remains unknown, but the boat has an overall fuel capacity of around 45,000 gallons, and the ruptured forward tank can hold up to 13,000 gallons. Sarah Moore is a spokesperson for the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation. She said as of Monday evening, the response teams were still working to remove fuel from the damaged fuel tank and had successfully patched all the holes in the tugboat's hull. Sitka area management biologist Aaron Dupuis said Fish and Game would begin assessing the impact on the fishery on Tuesday morning. Fisheries biologist Troy Tidinko said the state has a zero-tolerance policy for oil contamination and seafood, and they would not open an area for fishing if there was a risk of contamination. Dupuis said that as of Monday, the visible sheen had not extended into Old Strait or into Crestoff Sound, where herring openers have occurred in the past. As long as the sheen remained limited to Neva Strait, Dupuis didn't anticipate it would impact the timing of the fishery. Alaska's Board of Fisheries on Sunday agreed to a compromise for king salmon in southeast that would leave sport fishing bag limits unchanged throughout the season. It's an attempt to balance the needs of charter fisher businesses and the commercial troll feet while setting a priority for resident anglers. Joe Vicknicki reports. At issue is a new provision of the 2019 Pacific Salmon Treaty Agreement requiring Alaska to pay back the following year when the commercial and sport fleets catch more king salmon than they've been allocated. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game has used in-season management to stay below that number, and that's meant reducing the resident bag limit on sport-caught kings over the summer and even prohibiting non-residents from keeping them at all. Charter and lodge operators said clients book their trips well in advance and want to be able to keep a king. Many, like Ketchikan Charter Fishing Captain Jeff Wedekind, asked the board for a new approach to keeping Alaska's harvest on target. And if we have an allocation that doesn't even allow us 
to fish or it closes us down in the middle, then we can't, we can't run our businesses. People aren't going to come. Lodge and charter businesses said their packages are based on a minimum of three days of fishing with the opportunity to catch a king on all three days. Alaska's annual share of king salmon is split 80% and 20% between commercial trollers and sport anglers. That number changes from year to year based on abundance of kings in the previous winter's troll fishery. To keep bag limits stable, the charter industry proposed a higher sport percentage when king numbers are down and a lower percentage in times of abundance, but still meeting that 80-20 split over time. That idea didn't go over very well. The sport charter sector is now making the claim that they, of all harvesting groups, should not be held to the agreement they themselves helped negotiate. Where does this elitist sense of entitlement end? That's Alaska Trollers Association President Matt Donahoe of Sitka. Alaska has seen reductions in its catch under the treaty negotiated between U.S. states and British Columbia. Sport and commercial fleets catch a mix of Chinook, but the bulk of those come from rivers in, in B.C., Washington, and Oregon. Since 2018, some local runs have been listed as stocks of concern because of low numbers. That's meant sport fishing closures throughout the inside waters and closed area and time for commercial fishing. But there was an opening for compromise. Prior to the meeting, the Trollers Association and sport fishing group, the Territorial Sportsmen, issued a joint statement asking for a resident preference in king salmon management. Larry Edfeld of Juneau represented the Territorial Sportsmen. As you have heard, the major threat to the resident king salmon sport fishery is the non-resident sport fishery in outside waters. The non-resident fleet now takes two-thirds or more of the sport Chinook quota, and its catching power is so great that it could take the entire sport quota before the end of June, thus closing both the resident and non-resident Chinook fishery for the entire summer. The board had proposals seeking to close or reduce non-resident sport fishing to ensure it stays open for residents. Another sought to direct any unused fish in late summer to the commercial fleet, and fishery managers submitted proposals seeking direction from the board on in-season management, payback of overages, a resident priority, and a long-term average for the sport troll split. Ultimately, stakeholders hammered out a compromise that maintains the current split but won't lead to in-season closures. Non-residents will still see annual limits drop in summertime. Residents will have a higher bang limit than non-residents, and uncaught kings later in the summer could go to commercial trollers. The commercial troll season in late summer ends up acting as a buffer. If the sport fishery goes over its allocation, the department can cut back time for commercial fishing. But if Alaska hasn't reached its all-gear catch by that time, the department can provide more time for the commercial fleet to make up the difference. If the combined catch exceeds Alaska's share, the overage will be paid back the following year by subtracting it from the total. That's regardless of which gear group was responsible for going over. Board member Jared Godfrey of Eagle River thanked the stakeholders for arriving at a compromise. I know this was very complicated, very uh, difficult to navigate, especially for me, uh, not participating in the fishery in any capacity. So I really appreciate the effort and the stick to to get there. Um, it's, I know it's a difficult lift, and I really appreciate the time and contribution everybody did in good faith. It makes our life a lot easier. I was happy to sit here 
in silence rather than <laughs> deliberating a bunch of proposals that a lot of people weren't going to like the votes on, most likely. Thank you. The board voted five to nothing to approve that compromise language, with John Jensen of Petersburg sitting out the vote. The management plan is region-wide. However, conservation measures for those salmon stocks of concern are still expected. But on a positive note, based on winter troll catch rates, Alaska's share of kings is actually up this year. In Petersburg, I'm Joe Vignicki. Alaska Congressman Don Young will lie in state in the U.S. Capitol on March 29th. He died last Friday after 49 years in office. Young was famous for his rough edges and bluster, but as Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin reports, he had a soft side as well. Young was supposed to be in Ketchikan this weekend. He was on an Alaska Airlines flight from L.A. Friday, sitting next to his wife, when he lost consciousness on final descent into Seattle. Sunday, the airline flew Young's remains to Washington, D.C., Longtime young aide turned Washington lobbyist C.J. Zane was at Reagan National Airport Sunday to witness Young's casket taken away by motorcade and to offer comfort to his widow. I think she's uh, in a lot of pain, but she also knows what an incredible run he had, what an incredible life he had. Young was bombastic, but also bipartisan, an increasingly rare quality in the U.S. House. He was known for malapropisms, saying things like bladder dash and privilofs dogs. He uttered more than one ethnic slur. He could say the wrong thing at the wrong time and and then apologize for it later, or sometimes sort of gruffly refuse to apologize. But if you only see that part of him, you don't understand the whole person. Everyone remembers that Young brandished an usik, the penis bone of a walrus, at a congressional hearing. He made that crude gesture in 1994 to undermine the testimony of Molly Beattie, the first woman to lead the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. But when Beattie died of cancer two years later... For what purpose does the gentleman from Alaska rise? Mr. Speaker, I ask unanimous consent to take from the... Young sponsored a bill in 1996 to honor her in Alaska in perpetuity. This bill designates 8 million acre wilderness area and the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge as the Molly Beattie Wilderness Area. That's in my state. Young said on the House floor he was familiar with the highly protected area he was naming after Beattie. It's north of his home in Fort Yukon. He said he hunted, trapped animals, and mined for gold there. Young was a zealous advocate of gun rights. He served for decades on the NRA board. He voted twice against impeaching Donald Trump, but was among the first Republican members of Congress to acknowledge Joe Biden's victory over Trump in the 2020 election. Alaskans will vote four times this year to fill Young's U.S. House seat. A special primary followed